Welcome to Sports Scope, the most influential sports talk show in the nation. Stay tuned for updates and great sports content. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sports Scope. I'm your host, Robert Butler, on this 10th day of August. Here, got a great show on tonight. Uh, movement already in the Jets offensive line. Plus, I uh, got a few comments. There's been some uh, little bit of issue there with Airbnb with the commanders. And I've got my take is never fear. There's a similar situation with the um, with uh, the uh, Washington commanders offensive coordinator situation. I can give you a similarity. But I'm hiding the big lead. Jack Hirsch, Hall of Fame boxing writer, will be in 30 minutes past the hour. Going to ask him about Terrence Crawford, uh, the welterweight champion. Uh, he's got like three belts, I want to say. Uh, Crawford's got three belts. So I want to ask him, why has he not been uh, more well-known uh, until just now? He's got 40 and 0. Plus, I'll ask him about, obviously, um, I don't know why I keep messing up with this guy. Uh, uh, Jake uh, Jake Paul here. Jake Paul, big fight last weekend, beat another MMA fighter. Uh, guy's really getting a lot of big uh, promotion, a uh, lot of money for his bouts. We'll get into that. But first, let's take our only uh, break here, and I'll be back in 49 seconds here on Sports Scope. Hello, SportsCo followers. The program has seen tremendous growth since going five days a week. I just wanted to thank everybody for your cash contributions and sharing the program uh, with friends and families. Just a reminder, if you want to contribute to the program, go to the cash app, the word, the cash sign, and SportsCo. There are other ways to contribute to the program listed at the bottom of the screen. If you want to advertise on the program, go to sports, that is sports with an S, another S, scope, S-K-O-P-E, at gmail.com, just like it's listed at the bottom of the screen. Thank you, and enjoy the program. All righty then. You know, I think I'll start off with this Eric B. Enemy story here, folks. Uh Eric B. Enemy, for those of you, he, he he is the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders at this time. Uh, he used to be with uh, 10 years ago, prior to 10 years ago. Uh, he was he worked as a running back. He, he was a coach at the University of Colorado, had some shady stuff go on there. He rebounded. Andy Reid gives him a job. He's been with Andy Reid with the Chiefs for 10 years, pretty much five as a Running back coach five as an offensive coordinator. Uh, the media saying, Why isn't he getting a head coaching job? And they're insinuating air quote races and all this stuff. And then you've got players like ex players who played with the Chiefs, like uh, LaShawn McCoy, saying that the guy is, is, is not a good, he's a good uh, uh, motivator and everything, but he's not a good. Uh, schemer, not a good teacher. What is needed? Uh, um, <laughs> Linda says we stole a 
uh, uh, that a tampering charge. Yes, I'm going to get fined. Linda coming in like the NBA on me here. But I did put that on the screen here. <laughs> but anyways, so this stuff with Eric B. Enemy. So there's a lot to go around that. So let me go ahead. First of all, he was in the news earlier this week. Or it may have been late last week. I can't remember. It means no, never mind. Uh, Ron Rivera saying the players have come up to him at the commanders and say they 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 had they have a somewhat of an issue with his intensity. And then he later came back and it kind of reiterated what he said and air quote clarify what he said and saying that he and and you know, position coaches, and that's something that I got Jim Jeffco coming on next week, Linda. So that'll be another fifty thousand dollar fine by the NBA. Why as well get a hundred thousand uh, dollars, one hundred fifty if I ask get Mac to come back on. There'll be another fine by the NBA. Okay, so that's that's the Eric B. Enemy thing in a nutshell. Okay, first let me go ahead and play. LaShawn McCoy yesterday, former Kansas City Chief, now he works for Fox Sports, yesterday at Colin Cowherd's talking about Eric Bieniemy. Oh, I hope I did not mess up this because I really had this. I accidentally clicked off my iHeart. Um, I think I got it. It's just going to take a second, folks. I believe it's already preset. Okay. LaShawn McCoy on Eric Bieniemy. It'll probably, this is off an iHeartRadio app, and it'll probably put a commercial in, but we're going to get this sound bite if it kills me. Something told me just to record it. I go back and forth myself. So uh, you were at Cowboy practice. Yes. You have always been willing to be critical of Dak. And so do you go to Cowboy practice? Are they looking at you a little sideways? Uh, well, that is not, that is not the, let me, let me go ahead and double check. I had to go back and see exactly where I was on that sound bite there, folks. And we will, uh, we will make sure and get that. I thought it was 43 mark on the money. I don't know why I didn't do that. Hmm. Was this from today's the 10th in it? Yep. Either way. So basically, he's saying that he's hollering at the starters, and it's rubbing the players the wrong way. You know that, and he's been known to say that prior to coming on. That that was just an actual soundbite. Prior to coming on this show, he said that months ago when he was hired for the Commanders' offensive coordinator. Okay, so uh, this is what the. Uh, reiteration? Is that what you want to call it, Maps? Here is Ron Rivera talking about it, clarifying his comments. Ron Rivera on Eric Bieniemy. I'll, um, I'll open up with this pretty much. You know, I realized my comments yesterday took on a different life than I intended yesterday. And that's on me for not being as clear as I needed to be. I'll own that. At the end of the day, we know that we're trying to build here. We're all aligned. As I've said many times since I hired Eric, I love the overall message that he gave to the team his first day, and that was basically, we all learned to be comfortable when we're uncomfortable. 
And I think what's happened is for those guys on that side of the ball, things are uncomfortable. There's been a lot of change. And the entire way of doing things has changed on the offensive side. Change is hard, and I've always encouraged our players to have great dialogue and build relationships with our staff. Since those conversations took place with Eric and the players, I've seen the improvements. And I can honestly say that the last couple of practices probably been the best in training camp, which I think is great. So he's saying he's getting the guys out of their comfort zone. Players and people don't like change. I've been on that side. When you go to a job, you get new management. Uh whether the old management gets fired or gets a better job, uh, starts doing a lot of changes, and you, you're, you're not really sure. You're not really sure if uh, uh, if you can trust this person and where they're going at or where you stand at. Now, Jason Whitlock has always uh, been a true serum kind of guy, brutally honest. He's I like to quote this guy because he says a lot of stuff that you can be seen as controversial. But, but there, I do see some of it as being truth here. As being truth here. Okay. So Whitlock says he's with CNN, or not CNN, Fox, ESPN. He's worked everywhere. Jason Whitlock says, You will not hear any truth from the mainstream media regarding Eric B. Enemy. They're all invested in his success, to be honest. He says, my initial concern to players complaining about the enemy's intensity, why is Ron Rivera telling us this? Hit question mark. Then he says, he knows the enemy was hired to replace him. Rivera's letting the media know, the media and ownership know, the enemy style won't work with the ultimate leadership position. The enemy coaches like a position coach. It's all... He really knows. Rivera is playing a game of chess, protecting his position, while also revealing the truth about the enemy. He's a position coach who mascared a $50 word, meandered, if, if you want to put it that way, as OC and uh, KC. The enemy is a great position coach. Media desperately wants him to be a head coach because of his skin color. He's all about ESPN and these big media people pushing this woke agenda, uh, that equity and inclusion stuff. He He's saying that the media is kind of putting the enemy out to be that. And the truth of the matter is, there. and, and I've had Jim Jeffcoat say this to me on Mac and Jack and Jim Jeffcoat show, that he's aware of Eric B. Enemy's issues that came from Colorado that were pretty bad. Okay? Just saying it like that, uh, some off-the-field-related stuff. Now, the enemy has 10 years with Andy Reid, five as a head coach or five as a running back coach, five as an offensive coordinator. Now, he's just an offensive coordinator, okay? He's not a head coach. Yes, position coaches from years of watching these documentaries that I've just talked about last night with uh, uh, Keith Angle for TGI Sports. Love these documentaries. The position coaches are loud, animated. Uh, you know, they're a different breed than than your your quarterback coaches and, and your offensive mind, uh, coordinators and, and most of the head coaches, especially offensive-minded, okay? Offense, particularly quarterbacks, 
you want to kind of deal with them like you deal with a uh, a pilot or someone in the Air Force. You don't want to holler and do a drill sergeant, Marine-style type of training with someone who is uh, a pilot in a, a fighter jet, all right? Because they've got to have their head clear. They can't have people making them nervous and make because it's a lot more complex in the offense. That's kind of what Jason Whitlock is getting to. Now, all that being said, all that being said, a lot of times players do not, um, let me make sure I got this right. A lot of times players do not, uh, 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 won't, won't change. They, they do not won't change. They're in their old habits. They're making a lot of money. There is some self of entitlement and they just don't like to be pushed certain to certain levels at the professional level. They want to be treated as an equal, not as a student, okay? And, for example, Todd Haley, Ben Roethlisberger, had won a couple Super Bowls. Todd Haley was hired as an offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers back in 2012. The offense was lagging at the time, okay? Uh, There were reports that Big Ben did not like Todd Haley, that Todd Haley was not the best guy to get along with. But the raw numbers, and these are what they are, when Todd Haley got there, offensively, this team was, um, what did I got these numbers at? They were thir- uh, seven, uh, five. Uh, th- these, these are in points. This is the Steelers, you know? Seven, five, four. I mean, they, they were really good. They uh, From those times, and we're talking years with guys like Le'Veon Bell and his big numbers going up to his contract year. Remember that? That's why he wanted all that money. He's getting all those catches. They're moving the ball all over the place. That's why a lot of heat was coming on Mike Tomlin because they're getting this high seating. They had this really good offense here. The emergence of Tony Brown, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, who's the guy? He, um, actually, I don't know if that uh, tight end was on there, but you get the point. Very good offense, getting rid of the ball quick, a lot of movement here, Ben having his best numbers. The defense, actually, uh, if you guys recall, remember Jacksonville went up there and jumped on top of them, moved the ball all, all up and down the field. The defense was having problems during that era with Todd Haley, but Haley was a good uh, he was a good offensive coordinator. Him, like I'm seeing Eric Bieniemy already looks like not to be a head coach of material. But like I said, this offense under Todd Haley, whether Ben Roethlisberger wants to admit it or not, was his best years. His best years were under uh, Todd Haley, getting the ball to the playmakers, uh, making quick decisions. They moved the ball up and down the field. Now. The guy's not the best guy to get along with, not the best people skills, but, uh, you know, that offense got a little sluggish afterwards. Uh, There's a lot of speed in the Kansas City offense. Uh, He's probably pushing the players. They probably want to do some of that jet sweep stuff. They have to work at a certain speed. Former Pittsburgh Steeler said, when I went to Kansas City last year, this is the most, the hardest I've ever worked in practice. Well, it, the enemy was the offensive coordinator there. He's pushing them a little bit harder, 
and the players don't like that because they're making millions of dollars and they're feeling insulted. That's my take, okay? That is my take. Listen, folks, I think this is a sleeper team, to be honest with you. I think things are going to calm down, and I'm looking at this roster here for uh, for the Commanders. I mean, you've got guys like Terry McLaurin. Johan Dotson is a starting receiver in this league. Uh, Big-time playmaker, very young. He's going to be getting a lot of exposure in this offense. Curtis Samuel, they're going to use him somewhat the way the Chiefs used Tyreek Hill in some of those jet sweeps. He was used like that in the Carolina Panthers system a few years ago. Uh, you've got Antonio Gibson. That's your pass catching running back. And then you got your power guy who missed some time last year and Brian Robertson Jr. So my thing is, I think the commanders are going to be okay. I think they're going to be okay. I do think the players get a little thin-skinned sometime. Maybe he's overdoing it a bit much. I'd rather have a player or a coach. Livy, I cannot see what you're putting down there. Oops, dang, just went off on me. Um, Livy, you're not, whatever you're doing, it's not coming up here. I'd rather have a player or a coach here uh, that you have to tone down rather than speed up, per se. Okay? If that makes any sense. Thumbs up. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Olivia. All right. Now, anyways, next story. Uh, as I've been talking about the last few weeks, folks, the Jets. Talked about the Jets yesterday. We mentioned hard knocks. All right? It was reported today that the Jets are now making offensive line shifts here. They're going to move Elijah Very Tucker to tackle. Uh, we, we talked about the um, uh, Dwayne Brown has been out, and uh, they, they just, they've just had injuries, man. They're, they're just not sure what they want to do with this offensive line. I just forgot the other right tackles. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they're, they're, they're going to move Tucker around. He played right tackle and left tackle last year uh, and it, when there was injuries last year in mind. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. All right. And it even got the attention of um, uh, Mike Greenberg. Even got the attention of famous, uh, somewhat famous Jet fan Mike Greenberg from Mike and Mike and uh, formerly Mike and Mike. He was on Get Up today saying that he is concerned already and that maybe they should make a big move in Jets land if I can find it. Man, I'm having some having some issues today, folks, getting my sound square away. I'm about to find it here in just a second. It's good stuff, good stuff. It was from uh, trying to see if I can get it in here. We will get it set up. Looks like C.J. Stroud, by the way, while I'm finding this. Looks like he's having a rough... Uh, he is having a rough opening game. Okay, here we go. Here is uh, Mike Greeny, Greenberg 
having an issue with the Jets already. Dan is not reporting it's happening. Okay, I'm going over here. Go ahead, get the shot up. We, we need, I, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this plea in front of my jersey. I, we need this man standing as tall when the season ends. Jets, go do it. Again, Diana's not reporting it's happening. I'm reporting they should do it. The Jets should go out and make a trade for offensive line help immediately, and David Bakhtiari would be the perfect place to stay. Now, Bakhtiari, he's saying go out and get uh, the the 31-year-old uh, player here that um, Bakhtiari uh, was the left tackle under uh, under Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers. Here's the problem with Bakhtiari. He's owed a lot of money, okay? He's got two big years left on this contract. They could swallow it. Uh, they could swallow it. That being said, he's coming off an ACL from the year before last, okay? Uh, not sure how long that's going to hold up. I'm sure this has been talked about because Rodgers wants to bring in Bakhtiari. That was reported earlier. He was on that air quote wish list. All right. Uh, Micaiah Becton is now even, uh, Micaiah Becton, who I was trying to think of earlier. He was at left tackle. He's not even listed as a starter right now, uh, Micaiah Becton. Thanks for watching Brian Parrish. Okay. Not sure. Okay. Anyways, uh, so McBecton is the guy that keeps – I was reporting last week or talking about it. Report it was already reported. Last week that Becton, uh, he was supposed to play like 23 snaps. He only played seven. All right. He only played seven. He's had a nagging knee injury. He does not want to play right tackle. He wants to play left tackle. The team's brought in, what is it, 38-year-old um, Dwayne Brown, the plate left tackle, but Brown is not back yet. Uh, Micaiah Becton is having problems at, uh, with his knee on and off, in air quotes. And then you got to look at the fact that they're already moving Elijah Very Tucker over at tackle. Let me see where they officially got him listed as, as of right now. Uh, he he's well, he's still listed as right guard, a uh, very Tucker, and uh, they may move him to right or left tackle. Here's my thing all right, this is a very similar situation. Uh, think about the Denver Broncos back in 2014. All right, 2014, they had Peyton Manning there, uh, they had a defensive minded head coach there. Uh, was it John Fox? John Fox come up a little bit short, made some adjustments to the defense, also wanted to make some adjustments to the running game. You're dealing with a guy coming off of a neck injury. Now, I know he came there, what, 12 or whatever. Coming off of a neck injury, made some final adjustments there. They got it right. They end up winning the Super Bowl once they got off of um, once they fired uh, – uh, John Fox and brought in uh, uh, Gary Kubiak, former uh, offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. The rest is history. The running back game gets going. They win the Super Bowl. Now, you're saying, why are you saying this? Well, let's go back to the draft. They have the 15th pick. They have the 15th pick. Robert Salop is the uh, defensive-minded head coach. They take this guy, Will McDonald. They take this guy, Will McDonald, edge rusher out of Iowa State with the 15th pick. 
when Solomon knew and Douglas knew. I don't know if it was Douglas or Solomon. Douglas is the general manager. Solomon's the head coach. My sense is being a defensive player, being a defensive minded head coach, Sala pushed for pushed for uh, Douglas to draft the edge rusher, saying that he had the higher grade. I'm not sure for that. I'm not uh, 100% sure, but but uh, that's what happened. You look down, there's a guy named Anton. Let me make sure I got this guy's name right. He went to 27th overall, right? Uh, his name is Anton Robertson, I want to say. Then again, I'm, I may I be jacking this guy's name up here. Or maybe Harrison. Either way, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they got a left tackle with the 27th pick. Now we're talking, you know, 12 picks down from uh, Oklahoma, and now he's listed as a starter, okay, at right tackle. Stuff like that, say if these guys fall apart, nothing happens with uh, with with uh, uh, Becton or, or Dwayne Brown. They're moving Tucker in. They're making last-minute changes here. Maybe they're forced to make this trade. The, the Green Bay's already got their first, their second-round pick. It will be a conditional first-round pick if Rodgers plays more than 65% of the snaps. Okay? So, my thing is, are you did, did Solov and uh, Joe Douglas drop the ball? Did they drop the ball in the offseason by not getting that offensive line taken care of? That's the first thing in the draft that Tampa did with uh, um, – we're getting Thriston worse from Tampa. Uh, Thriston worse in the draft in the first round. Everybody thought they were going to get a running back. So on that note, I've got Jack Hirsch back here, and I guess I'll go backwards and ask him. That would be I've got Hall of Fame boxing writer and um, and big time Jets fan uh, Jack Hirsch in. That's a perfect segue. I don't know if you heard me back on the other side in the studio, or whatever. That the Jets, they're already moving Elijah Very Tucker around in the offensive line. Do you think that maybe Salah and Douglas have totally screwed up this help for protecting Aaron Rodgers? I think they have to make certain adjustments. I think reality set in with that scrimmage with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, yeah. It's all fun and games when you're going against one another in practice. It's a yeah. good field situation. Uh, the guys on the defensive side of the ball, they know they're not supposed to get too close to Aaron Rodgers. They're not supposed to put him under too much duress. I'm not talking about just the physical part of it, the mental part of it. Yeah. You don't want to harass Aaron Rodgers. You don't want to tick him off. So it's a question like of cooperating more or less. Uh, you know, stick with the program, but the Panthers don't care about any of that. They want to throw Rogers off his game. And Rogers is quite upset because this is the closest thing he's really had to game conditions since he's yeah. been with the Jets. And he was a bit shaky with the Panthers and he's a bit alarmed because he saw the offensive line, which has given the Jets so much trouble in the last couple of years. Yeah. Is it really mended completely? 
You know, they, they addressed it somewhat in the off season, but if I do know something, I'm going to tell you, Robert, this is yeah. a problem with virtually every team in the NFL. If you look at the weak link that yeah. just about every team in the NFL, it's the offensive line. So it's nothing different with the Jets. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But my thing is, when you've got a defensive-minded head coach like Salaf, and they draft an edge rusher, this guy, Will McDonald from Iowa State, it, that the optics look like that he's pushing for his side of the ball, knowing that uh, Becton is hurt. Dwayne Brown's 30, was he 38 years old, man? Yeah, but the, in the draft, and they he's had hurt no too. choice but to go with McDonald, you know, at number five, you know, at the time when he was available at 15. Yeah. Because all the projected offensive linemen who they would have wanted, you know, that high up were taken at that point. Yeah. So well, and, yeah. yeah. So what so it's a question of taking the best play available. What are you going to stick with a philosophy? Are you going to draft an offensive lineman who, let's say, hypothetically would normally go number 28, but because you have a need at 15, you take them at 15? You know, it's a question at that point of yeah. taking the best play available. But but you have Rodgers, though. I mean, this is a special thing. Anton Harrison went 27th to Jacksonville. He's listed as a starting right tackle. Yeah, I mean, listen. Listen, just the year before that, uh, look, look, a couple of years before that, I mean, look at what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals. Penny Sewell was there, great offensive lineman from Oregon. Yet they went, you know, uh, wide receiver with Jamar Chase. I mean, and and it's worked out for them. Penny Sewell is turning into an all-pro type player now. So in the long run, he's going to be outstanding. And Jamar Chase was, you know, a big hit right from the get-go. Joe Burrow's yeah. main weapon is college teammate, the whole bit. But their need was the offensive line to protect Joe Burrow. Yeah. Yet they went wide receiver. They went for the guy who they thought was the best player available, Cincinnati, and it did work out. Yeah. Well, he did get hurt. Um he did get hurt in that Super Bowl. You can make the argument maybe if Sewell's there, maybe he doesn't get injured, but who knows? Yeah, you can't go wrong. I, I you know, the offensive line is uh, so, so important. You know, uh, remember Matt Lynott when the Jets needed a quarterback, you know, while back in Matt Lynott was really hyped out of college. And, yeah, uh, he was really yeah. hyped. And the Jets went, and the Jets were going forth in the draft, and they went, you know, for, for the offensive linemen. So it's, you know, it's what it is. <laughs> and that lineup didn't work out, but yeah, that was, the, that was the fans' choice. They were getting all excited, you know. He'd be like Broadway Joe and all, and uh, I thought yeah. Liner was gonna be good too, man. I was really taken back, but he just didn't yeah, have the work yeah. ethic. You know? Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, what happened with the Cowboys as well? Jerry Jones wanted Johnny Manziel, yes. and all his people insisted on Zach Martin, and they argued, and Jerry Jones went across the room one by one trying to get someone to back him up on Johnny Manziel because Johnny Manziel was from Texas as well, so that yeah. added to the appeal. But, you know, you have to have a level head as far as that Did goes. you see that documentary, Jack? Uh, which one? Uh, which it, one? On Johnny Manziel. 
Well, I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's new, right? It's on Netflix. Yeah, it just came yeah. out uh, yeah, the I'm other day. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, kind of like a wasted talent. I hate to say it. <laughs> Young man, as far as football goes, maybe he can make something really good out of his life. So that would be yeah. positive, you know, when all is said and done. But, you know, in college, he had all these difficulties as well. I heard Joe Thomas. The great thing of offensive linemen before one of the best of all time, you know, from the Cleveland Browns. Unfortunately, he yeah. was with a whole, you know, bunch of losing teams over his whole career. But he has a great legacy that he stayed with Cleveland his whole career. And he was talking about Johnny Manziel. You know, I heard him on an interview recently, and he said Johnny Manziel showed up at camp for one day and then left, and they couldn't find him. Wow. He kind of wondered what was going on. I mean, you just don't do that. You know, you leave and you disappear. So he yeah. kind of wondered his commitment. And he, even Joe Thomas said he finds it a little difficult to talk. But he's not mad at Johnny Manziel. He just, but he also questioned whether Johnny Manziel had the physical attributes to make it in the league, too. Because he said he wasn't really that good an athlete. He was short. He really didn't have a quick release. So he was yeah. just questioning the whole pick. Oh, that's very nice there, Wesley Media Hub. <laughs> yeah. That's not your real name out there, Wesley Media Hub, I'm sure. Wesley Media, yeah. Yeah, Nigel. Yeah, yeah. He's from Australia. You know, uh, yeah, you ought to check that man's out. Ken Zuri's going to want to hear about, you know. He might be Terrence Crawford's next opponent if Errol Spence doesn't invoke his rematch. Yeah. You know, contract. That was my next yeah. segue. Terrence Crawford, I just now heard of that. I'm a casual fan. A lot of people are casual boxing fans. This guy's 40, 40 and 0. He's <laughs> he'll be 36 in September. Welcome. We're just now hearing about him. No, no, hardcore boxing fans, they all knew who Terrence Crawford was. He was rated number one pound for pound on a lot of lists. But this is his breakthrough fight. Why didn't it take so long? It's the business of boxing. Yep. Fights that should be made are and made. Listen, even with Errol Spence, kudos to Errol Spence for the effort he put up against Crawford. He took yep. a pounding, he, you know, hung in there the whole time. Kudos to him. But I don't want to hear before the fight Spence and Crawford saying they're giving the fans what they want. They're doing this, they're doing that. Errol Spence delayed that darn fight for what, three, four years? Errol oh, wow. Spence I didn't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, Errol Spence held three belts and Crawford held one belt out of the four belts. It's total nonsense, these yeah. belts to me, except as a negotiating tool. So Errol Spence felt because he held three of the four major belts, that entitled him to a big split. At one point, Errol Spence is talking in terms of a 70-30 split in his favor. He uh, wasn't interested in fighting Terrence Crawford. You, he feared Terrence Crawford back then, no matter what said. And you could even tell when they signed for this fight, he'd be trying to make nice to Terrence Crawford. When they'd have the final stare down, he'd say, oh, thank you for taking this fight, Terrence. Thank you for making this happen. <laughs> you, know, you know, but you, you could tell if you read. And the guy, he won in dominant fashion, no? Yeah, listen, Errol Spence fought with a lot of heart. You know, he's yeah. a heck of a fighter outside of this Crawford performance. You know, he's had a great, great career, and he was competitive until he got knocked down at the end of the second round against Crawford. And it wasn't anything that was a matter of Spence. It's just that Crawford's that great. 
But Crawford himself was in a bad position all the years because he fought for Bob Arum's top rank. But another promotional group, the PBC, they had all the top welterweights. Oh, wow. Because Crawford, you know, he, I don't want to say it was with the wrong promotional group top rank because they would get him some decent paydays, not mega paydays, over the best opposition they could find. But it wasn't the elite opposition to put him on the map. Finally, Spence made the fight with Crawford because there was nowhere else to turn for Spence. There were no big lucrative fights out there. There was nothing for him, nada. So Spence all of a sudden says, I want to fight Terrence Crawford. So the two of them spoke on the phone to make it happen. Neither guy had anywhere to go. Wow. They had nowhere to get, no one to play with. It's like you're going to the schoolyard. You know, you're you're shooting the ball by yourself all day long, and you realize you need someone to guard you after a while. So the person you don't want to allow to share the ball with you, you invite them to play you (laughs) one-on-one. And then he's your best buddy. See see the Russell Westbrook of boxing? Who, Terrence Crawford? No, Errol Errol Spence. (laughs) Oh, wow, wow, wow. You know, he's a big sports fan. I mean, yeah. uh, not a bad comparison. I like to sometimes compare in my own head for fun boxers to other athletes who would be who. Like if I had to say Terrence Crawford, compare him to anyone, uh, I'd say like Ken Griffey Jr. How's okay. that? Okay. What about boxing okay. wise? I uh, think no, no, I'm heavier... not level. If I had to throw yeah. rate the type yeah, yeah, of yeah, athlete. Yeah. I love Griffey. Wow, that's a great compliment, man. Yeah, but our friend from Australia. Yeah. They have a fighter there, Tim Zhu. He was supposed to be fighting uh, Jamel Charlo. There's two Charlos, the middleweight Jamal with the A and Jamel with the E. And <laughs> the fight kept getting delayed. You know, Charlo mm-hmm. would get hurt, this, that. I don't want to say Charlo is ducking him because I think Charlo's a little better, a better fighter. And probably would have won, even though Zoo would have been a very live underdog in that fight. Uh, so now Jamel Cholo gets a chance to fight Canelo Alvarez, move move up two weight divisions, and you can't turn that down. Yeah, you know you're getting a big fight against Canelo. How do you turn that down? You don't. Man, uh, but Terence Crawford is calling out Jamel Cholo. Okay, Jamel Cholo, if he beats Canelo, he probably has a rematch with Canelo. And Jamel Charlo says he's going to go down from 168 to 154 after this fight, meaning he's not going to be the same fighter. Because when you go up and down weight divisions, it usually takes something out of you. And it's not any longer going to be the big fight. But Terrence Crawford is so focused on that fight. Meanwhile, he's being challenged by Boots Innes. And Terrence Crawford is saying... He, do, he doesn't want to fight Boots in this because it's a lose-lose situation. He says, if I beat him, they're going to say he wasn't ready for me. Yeah. You know, which they probably would say, in all fairness, because the skeptics are there the whole right. time. But in the meantime, Terrence Crawford is calling out Jamel Charlo. If Jamel Charlo loses to Canelo Alvarez, they're going to say that fight took something out of him. And if he beats Canelo Alvarez and comes down and wait, they're going to say coming down and wait took it out of him. Mm. So, uh, you know, Crawford, 
attitude-wise in a way just like the rest of them, not taking on the toughest challenges. You know, the whole oh, so is that so why you're that saying that he is the best fight in boxing pound? Yeah, okay. Let, let me ask you a hypothetical. This was trending two weeks ago on Twitter and stuff. Mayweather. Would Mayweather fight him in, in an ex exhibition fight? Mayweather's fight a villain. Who? People want to see him lose. Fight who? Uh, fight Terrence Crawford. Why would Terrence Crawford want to do it? Money. I mean, huge. Uh, unless the money. Unless the money. You're right. 50 Good million. You got me on that one. No, no, you got me on that one. Because if Crawford was going to fight Mayweather, and this was going to be like the Rocky Balboa movie, we weren't sure whether it was going to become real or not right. during the fight. People might want to see it. But you want to know something? I think Terrence Crawford's respectful Mayweather is. I think it would turn into a timid exhibition or you something think? along those lines. I'm... Wow. Mayweather was giving him compliments. For May, yeah, for Mayweather to do it, it would have to be some serious money. You it know, would be. It, people want to see Mayweather get beat. But it, but it would be an exhibition. It wouldn't be a real fight. You talking right, about a real fight? Oh, Mayweather wouldn't fight Terrence Crawford for real. Mayweather during his prime was reluctant to take chances. Yeah. Do you think now that he's retired and has an unbeaten record, you know, and he's got the unbeaten record in part because he didn't always take the strongest challenges, okay? Right. Even though he was a, a, an all-time great fighter, don't get me wrong. Mayweather is, you know, an all-time great. Yeah. yeah, the best fighter really of his era, if you want to say over like a 20-year stretch, a 25-year, 30-year, 25-year stretch. He wasn't quite as good as Roy Jones. Roy Jones was absolutely better than Mayweather when he was in his prime. You want to yeah. do a pound-for-pound -pound comparison. But after Roy Jones' peak, uh, Roy Jones started going downhill, you know, in the you know, late, late 90s. Late 90s, early 2000s. So. Yeah, uh, what was... No, uh, I forgot the year after that. Yeah, uh, the early 200s, I believe it was. It was 2003, <laughs> around the time he fought Antonio Tarver. He'd been slipping okay. up to that point. Mayweather basically took over as the best pound for pound. So for the last 20 years, for about yeah. close to 20 years, yeah, Mayweather was it. Yeah, I just don't think it, it. I think it would be tempting. Who would you compare this guy Crawford to? I think he looks like a heavier version of a uh, of a uh, Sugar Ray Leonard a little bit. Yeah, that's a great comparison. A great about seven comparison. pounds difference. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Crawford moved up from one thirty five to one forty. Leonard yeah. was always one forty seven throughout most of his career. Yeah, he won a belt at one hundred and fifty four. And then when he, you know, came back to the ring after having won five in five years, he fought Marvin Hagler middleweight 160. And then after that, you know, had some fights a little over that weight. But uh, yeah. yeah. So is that okay? I, that was just food for thought. Is that what well, you were saying? Tony Lalonde was over the weight, just maybe one fight over the middleweight limit he had. Okay. Uh, I know this one may annoy you. Uh, Jack does a show. Is this other guy you do a show with on Mondays? Is he a boxer yeah. also? Yeah, Frank Leturza. It's a former amateur boxer. Frank knows his stuff. No, Frank's got the best insights of anyone yeah. 
I've met into boxing insights when you talk about breaking down styles, this and this and this, but you know, but sometimes it letters out, compare him to a soccer player. He fakes yeah. the whole team out, the opposition. He dribbles downfield the most spectacular moves. And then he shoots the score and he hits it off the post. That's my brother. <laughs> so, that's his final predictions. He doesn't always nail, but but I'm going to tell you, he no one has his insight. You and that guy argue. Y'all like the odd couple. Oh, he has great insights, Frank. Are you yeah. kidding? I mean, really, really very perceptive. You know, yeah, yeah, I've learned, I've, stuff. I've I've learned a lot it. opposite him, you know, going back and forth. He's educated me on a lot of things. <laughs> uh, Jake Paul. Now, you can laugh what you want, but Jake Paul, I heard about Jake Paul, this YouTuber, before me being this casual fan, <laughs> then Terrence Crawford. You know, he, he beat another MMA fighter uh, last Nate Saturday. Diaz. Nate Diaz, yeah. And then he beat, I covered uh, that fight for my publication boxing news in the uk yeah yeah what's your thoughts of this guy he he um he he took tyson fury not tyson tommy he took him to the uh to the wire i mean tommy beat him and tommy's only got what nine fights tommy fury's a novice big deal he took him to the wire i mean who he's a professional he's got a boxing family jack I mean, come on, who cares? That, you know, taking Tommy Fury to the wire. Tommy Fury's a, a novice. Basically. Yeah, he's only got nine fights, everybody. But I thought no, I'm just throw it out Fury there. He's got good footwork. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a Tommy Fury's a part timer. You know, I guess he's a model. <laughs> he boxes sometimes. I'm not saying Tommy Fury's all that bad. Yeah. But I don't go crazy about that. Jake. Paul, between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, they were charging $60 for them pay-per-view. Yeah. And between the two of them, neither of them have ever beaten a professional boxer before. And it was a professional boxing match. Neither. Okay. N- no guy still has. Uh, that's why I want to get your insight. I didn't know that. Tommy's never Nate beat a professional boxer. Tommy Fury wasn't in this fight. Oh, oh you're talking about the Sylvia. Yeah, Nate Diaz against oh, Jake Paul. Oh, uh, your last weekend. Yeah. What do you get? Tommy Fury can't. He doesn't. I don't want to say can't fight. He can fight a little bit. He He's not in the news. He beat Jake Paul. He yeah. beat a guy who was a novice like himself. Yeah. I mean, Jake Paul, he's, take, he's taking boxing seriously. I'll give him credit. He's been at it three years. Yeah. Normally, you need a few years of an amateur background and then to turn pro. You know, if Jake Paul fought was matched the way a, a real professional boxer would be matched throughout his career, I mean, he wouldn't be bad. He would be maybe an average to slightly better than average preliminary fighter. Okay. okay? That would, yeah. I mean, that's. You know, and maybe going forward, I don't see a great deal of potential in Jake Paul if he was strictly a boxer in the real sense, fighting other boxers all the time, being like another boxer. I don't see a great deal of potential in him to go far. You know what he would be like? You know what he would be like, Rob? You can relate this to sports. It's like a college football player. Okay. You would not draft them in, on the seven rounds at all, but yeah. you would 
look, and when the draft was done, you would call him up and invite him to camp to see what he got. <laughs> no, he might make the team. Yeah, he might make the team. So that yeah. he's good enough to get the phone call to be invited to camp. They don't just invite anyone to camp. Yeah, but he wouldn't be drafted, but he'd be invited. Like Tim to Tebow camp. in baseball, as far as his potential. Yeah, yeah that's a great example. That is perfect. <laughs> he, his ceiling. It's the same way as saying that Tim Tebow would have made it. If you let him play baseball full-time, left him alone, and he was doing it for a while, yeah. you know, it would be, you know, how how far would Tim Tebow go in baseball? How far do you think he'd go in baseball if he didn't quit? The Mets eventually I didn't want to I think he made it to, like, the double. I can't remember. I don't think he made it all the way to triple A. But, but, but the excitement of Tim Tebow, I remember – and Port St. Lucie, I went to spring training to see the Mets play a game. Yeah. I'm looking at the lineup, and they, they got good guys in there. Robinson Cano, Michael Conforto, a couple really of good guys. But I see the name Tim Tebow, and I'm excited. But that's like Jake Paul. Some people, you know, <laughs> he, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated recently. Because he's a villain, Jack. Cover. But he fights, but he but let, and the guys he beat, he beat Nate Robinson, former yes. NBA player. But Nate Robinson didn't have a box before. And he beat another YouTube guy who was in ringside, Anson Gibb. Yeah. Well, he beat he a couple of MMA no, guys, though. Anson Gibb had no clue how to fight. Okay. That was Paul's debut. I was at, in, at Paul's debut in Miami at nice. ringside. He had no clue how to fight Anson Gibb in but Paul has been taking it seriously to his credit. He trains like a boxer. He yeah. tries to live by a boxer because he knows he can maximize with all this money. And you want to know something? And he's a pretty smart businessman. Yeah. You hear him talk and you, you can't relate him to being a businessman. He sounds like some kid on the street that doesn't know what he's talking about. But he does. He took over the career of this woman, Amanda Serrano. She was a really good female boxer. Yes. Who she had to go to MMA. She couldn't get any meaningful boxing matches. So Jake Paul forms a promotional group, takes Honda's wing, and built her career to a point that none of the other boxing promoters could do. Getting a, yeah. some, you, you know, decent paydays. So, so he's, the new, he's the new Don King? No, no. I mean, it's a different <laughs> personality. I mean, Jake Paul's got so much going on now. He wants to fight Nate Diaz in MMA. Yes. I don't. I don't understand that, uh, because I don't. Unless Jake Paul's looking to cash out, how can he really beat him in the MMA? I can't see it. That I, I think. Who's I think Paul's probably going to. Uh, I'll tell you, let me, let me answer this question. Yeah, sure. Okay. My, uh, I'm not legendary at all, but oh, my favorite Australian boxer, Jeff Bennett. Uh, but I, I met Jeff Bennett and I'm embarrassed to say how, you know, I ignore, I talked to him, but I didn't give him the attention he deserved. It was in 2006 in Las Vegas. Okay. It was, uh, I was involved with this group, the American Association of Professional Ringside Physicians. I got a media award for them for some strange reason. But at the banquet, Mike Tyson was there with Jeff Benick. And yeah. Jeff Benick 
what and Mike Tyson were very close friends. Jeff Fennick also trained Mike Tyson. Uh, Tyson was kind of happily drunk then. You know what I mean? <laughs> harmless, harmless I think stuff. I remember you harmless, telling me that. Yeah. Harmless, no, harmless stuff. Harmless yeah. stuff. He was polite in a good mood, joking around. Banquet's over and everyone's leaving and Tyson and Fennick are hanging around. You'd think there'd be a crowd around Tyson at yeah. that point. But when you have a bunch of positions, they're not going to hang around Tyson forever the way a fan was. <laughs> so Tyson came, you know, I'm hanging out with Tyson and Fennick suddenly. And I get my picture taken with Tyson. And I think later, why the heck didn't I have it taken with Fennick? You know, what's yeah. the matter with me? I was hey, like, did you ever hang uh, out with Don King? No, no, Don King. I actually spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. I wrote a story on this fellow promoter, Don Elbaum, who's 92, the same age as King. Yeah. Don Elbaum talks about what a crook that King was when he really? worked. That he started King in boxing. This is Don Elbaum talking. So I called King up. I do have his direct phone number to get a quote about Elbaum, but I didn't tell him that Elbaum said he was a crook, even though it's well documented. <laughs> and John King is saying, I love Don Elbaum. He helped me yeah. in the beginning, blah, blah, blah. But Don King wouldn't remember who I was, even though I met him a few times and, you know, yeah. interviewed him and all. It's I don't think he keeps up with most of those names. Because of his age? No, not because of his name, because he's Don King. I mean, Don King... Uh, was a major player for a lot of years because he was no one outworked him. Well, I mean, yeah. let's give him his due. That guy seemed to work around the clock, and he was a he did, he did even though he had a promotional group in the company. It yeah. was King's personality, and I guess he couldn't keep up the pace. When you get older, you can keep up that frantic yeah. pace. These guys, I don't know. The King promote, has promoted recently, but not the biggest shows like in Miami Beach. They, they would lose money, the shows. And you get the feeling he does it just to keep in the game. Like uh, uh, about six months ago, uh, earlier this year, I should say, he signed Adrian Broner. Yes. You know, Adrian Broner is a He's the Antonio Brown of boxing. <laughs> oh, is he that crazy? Antonio Brown is now to football. Adrian Broner is to boxing in a way. Uh, Taking his shorts you know. off, walking off. Yeah, the no, yeah. well, yeah. Antonio Brown could play in the USFL if he wanted to. They would yeah. welcome him there, you know, not yeah. the NFL so quickly, not because he had some, you know, issues. You know, yeah. He was made to sell one of his teams or something. He got kicked out of a league as an owner. Yeah, so Adrian Brown is just as unpredictable. There's a picture King giving Brown a $100,000 bonus in the monies on the bet. One of the things that King has been accused of doing, what What's people that? say, he wants to sign a boxer, okay? Yeah. And let's say hypothetically, he says he's going to give them a million dollars to sign with him. So to get out of the contract, but instead of the million dollar check, he'll put down $200,000 in cash on the bed. Yeah. And he feels the fighters seeing the actual money, they'll go for it. They feel they're better off with the actual cash. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then, what, you're saying they would never get the million? 
No, they can get the million. They can they can enforce what's on the contract. But a lot of times, King sometimes, unfortunately, understands the mindset in a way. And uh, let's, yeah, I mean, the people unfortunately, you know, think like that. They love having cash in hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just curious about what's your thoughts on Tyson Fury. What what would you rate a guy like that? I don't, want, to... I don't even want to talk about him. He's fighting a mixed martial artist. <laughs> I mean, for Jake Paul, it's okay. Yeah. For Jake Paul, it's okay. Because Jake Paul isn't that good of a fighter. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's good for his... I I respect him a great deal. For someone who didn't have an amateur background and has yeah. been boxing three years, he's done a good job. As he a could boxer. take a hit. I, I take him I take him I take his I take him seriously as a boxer in itself. I don't take his yeah. career seriously because he's never beaten a professional boxer yet. You know, and he's had who would you he, like to see him fight to, to to prove it to you he can go? I mean anyone you know, he he took a gentle step in his one fight he lost with Tommy Fury. Yeah. He says he wants a rematch. Let him do he it. He knocked again. Fury down. With a jab. <laughs> well, he knocked him down. A hard jab. Yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> so Tommy, Tommy Fury isn't. Yeah. He he has the Fury name. It's right. not, you know, What do you think about the older brother, Tyson? Beating Tommy Fury because he has the Fury name. Yeah. It's like saying someone they beat. They beat Jeffrey Jordan, Michael Jordan's son, one on one, and they drag him. They what? They should go to the NBA and get a lucrative contract. Come on. What about what about Tyson? Tyson supposed to come out of retirement, fight some guy. Mike Tyson? No. Oh that's... no, no, Tyson Fury. No, Tyson brother. Fury isn't retired. He's. I mean, he says he's retired. He says he's not retired. Right. He's playing that game. He holds the WBC belt. He was supposed to fight Alexander Usyk, so we yeah. know for sure who'd be the heavyweight champion. So Tyson Fury first announces his retirement. Usyk fights, and Usyk now should be the heavyweight champion. Okay. Fury's an adult. You announce yeah. your retirement, we take you at your word. You can't decide, oh, I, I, I changed my mind, I'm coming back. Yeah, I mean, you can't yeah. do it. So, so Tyson Fury calls Usyk's bluff. I mean, the Usyk uh, called Fury's bluff because Fury says to Usyk, "I'm going to fight you. It's a 70-30 split in my favor." Oh now, wow! Think of that. Think of that. No, no. And he says, "For every day you delay, I take off one percent." Yeah. Usyk, the day he gets the offer, says, "Accepted." He called his bluff. Yeah. And Fury never goes through with the fight, and it showed he never intended to. He wanted wow. to say Usyk turned it down. Is Fury scared of Usyk? I don't think he's scared of him. I don't think Fury's in the mindset of boxing per se. Or yeah. maybe Usyk does have him unsettled because Usyk had 300 fights in his amateur career, gold medalist. Wow. He, I mean, he can really fight. Fury is tremendously talented. He's much bigger than Usyk. Yeah. But yeah. Usyk can really fight. And may, maybe Fury does have some doubts. I mean, it doesn't wow. make any 
Really? Why he wouldn't fight you, sick. I was so impressed the way he handled uh, Wilder. I, he is kind of chunky, though, ain't he? Oh, he doesn't have the idea of boxer body. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he looks no, like an older foreman. I mean, some guys are naturally big. That's what yeah. drives me crazy in sports in general. Like with teams, they tell a player they have to get down to this weight. Yeah. Sometimes it's justified and it's a good thing to do. But some athletes are naturally big. Yeah. You, you, don't you leave them alone. You don't, you don't worry about them getting down, you know, in weight to hit like a certain target. As long yeah. as they train hard and their nutrition isn't bad, leave it be. Yeah. Yeah. So you never did answer that with Crawford. What, who, who would you who would you compare him to? Where do you rank Crawford now? I like Story. the way Khalil is. Okay, he's number one pound for pound. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But he's not. What yeah. About historically, do you have a comparison? You know, with a friend from Australia. I could see Crawford going in fighting Tim Zoo okay. in Australia. What I want to see Crawford do to really chase greatness and to really be rated as one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. May make the conditions difficult. Go, I mean, don't shy away from difficult conditions. If you're gonna fight Tim Zoo, for example, go to Australia and fight Tim Zoo. Yeah. I mean, go there and knock out Tim Zoo in Australia. I don't want to see Crawford say something to the effect, no. I call the shots. I've earned that Tim Zhu has to come to the United States. Because if wow. I would do Tim Zhu's of sporting hero in Australia, it would do enormous business there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you go to some of these big fights that are out of the country like that? Not out of the country. <laughs> even though even though I do have one uh, thing to my credit, we don't talk about it in the show. I was the first American journalist, okay, to cover uh, a live professional boxing show in the Soviet Union in oh, Russia wow. in 1991. Oh, yeah. okay. I thought May you were talking 18th. about Rocky Drago. No, no May 18th, 1991. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I covered the first, yeah, live professional. Oh, well, was it? it was actually the second uh professional boxing show there but the first one there was no one from the united states who was yeah. there who covered who was it who fought uh you know a, a fighter marcelo figueroa from argentina against okay. the russia for the universal boxing association yeah. heavyweight title now wow. the group wanted me to be ratings chairman after it wasn't and a i won't say who the official is they came to my home yeah go over the ratings with me i had it all set to see would it work out and yeah. like i have a guy eight and that and i go ocho ocho and he'd make believe and he'd go ah dos dos he'd point to number two <laughs> like to me the mark, i go no ocho he doesn't go all the way up and we and it wasn't quite working out i wasn't quite rating him where he wanted so that yeah. little flirtation with being ratings chairman to see what it work out didn't work out man yeah mentioning your favorite all-time boxer i'll see uh, well costa zoo had a yeah. great career the father tim zoo 
Costas are with a K, not with a C over there. Well, well, this last name spelled wrong, but I, I don't want to get the spelling right. Yeah, my spelling I hear you. Isn't that okay, I've never heard of these Australian well. boxers. Yeah, so. yeah. But Costa Zoo lost one fight in his pro career. He retired after that fight. He lost to Ricky Hatton, you know, in England there. And uh, it was a bad star matchup for Zoo at that stage. Zoo lost more than one fight. I'm sorry. He got stopped by Vince Phillips as well. But Sue was a great fighter, scored a signature win over Zab Judah. You know, uh, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez. And Chavez was far past his career. You know, he stopped him. But Costa Zoo was an outstanding fighter. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, there was some class of Hall of Famers he was inducted with that year. Okay. He was inducted with Julio Cesar Chavez. Yeah, I know. Mike, I Tyson, Mike Tyson and Rocky. Man, Marciano. Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. <laughs> you know? and, who, yeah. and everyone. And Tyson was leading the Rocky chant on stage. So Hey, I love that, man. Lineup to be inducted with. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, Jack, I appreciate you coming on, man. That's good stuff, buddy. appreciate that. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And I'm going to. Use the Muhammad Ali line that he used to use on the shows he went on since we talked boxing. Rap, I like your show. I like your style. You pay so low, I won't be back for a while. <laughs> Ali used to use that. All right, Howard Cosell. I'll come back whenever you, I'll come back whenever you yeah. want. Yeah, okay, hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know, I know sometimes if you got to do stuff at a meeting, I can always record now. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm good. It's it, it, recording means it's interfering with my dinner. Hey, Corey, <laughs> how you doing? Thanks. Corey okay. says he loves Jack, man. Yeah, not many yeah. do. So hey, are you living down in uh, Tampa right now? No, no, I'll go to Florida later. On. I'm in New York right now. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about moving down there, but it's too much hassle right now. It's too expensive. You know, but well, everywhere, I'm everywhere around Nashville. Everywhere is expensive. You know, it's funny when I drive to Florida, you could tell cost of living by where you stop to get a bite to eat. Uh, I because I'd stopped at South Carolina on yeah. the way back to New York. Uh, one year. And then we ordered my wife and myself the same McDonald's meal later on. We usually don't need a McDonald's. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Don't get that impression. But <laughs> to get something cool when you're driving. Even though, you know, you want to make time, even though I, 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 we don't do it in one night. We right. stop off somewhere. Uh, and it was about the same meal. You know, the two things together, it was about $7 more from wow. New York than South Carolina. So it wow. was, you know, like crazy. Something that would cost like $12 in South Carolina was $19 in New York. Same exact thing. Yeah. So when you think of cost of living and all. It was like that when I lived up there, man. I bet it's crazy now. All those toll booths you drove? Why didn't you fly? Oh, the toll booths. I, I like driving. I mean, that's just... Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, then you need your car. Then you got to pay someone to drive your car. Well, yeah, you could rent a car no, once you get down there. Rent it. I'm so I'm a, you know what it cost me? I'm down there three months. You're telling me to rent the car. Oh, you, oh, should you rent? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, got you. yeah, come on. Yeah. Gotta yeah. have my car down there. <laughs> okay.
I'm going, oh, for good news, I'm going to a Buccaneer game this year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see the uh, Buccaneers against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, well, yeah. The my buddy who's a season ticket holder, you know, we already yeah. planned it. So, yeah. You'll see Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, uh, who am I going to see quarterbacking the Buccaneers? Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask, or someone else? This is going to be December 24th. Cal Trash. <laughs> yeah, Cal Trash. Oh, wow. You'll be watching the offensive coordinator be the head coach. I think uh, your guy will be fired by then. Oh, boy. I forgot okay, his well, name now. Yeah. Robert Salah? No, no. The other guy. The, the oh, Bowles. Todd Bowles? Todd Bowles, yeah. 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 He's in a tough spot with Tampa. Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll be fired, and they'll, they'll probably yeah. get Drake May or Caleb Williams from USC or – yeah, well, but when you think of how appealing certain places are to work, you have to think about living conditions, coaches with their families. Let's say someone could coach a elite team. They're considered elite right now, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. There's a coaching opening there or Tampa Bay. It's more appealing Buffalo with Josh Allen, right? Quarterback. Right. But it's but Buffalo, got, New York, though. In all due respect to Buffalo, New York, you got to live there year-round. And now yeah. the winters are going to be brutal. Compare the winter in Buffalo to Tampa. Come on. Right, right. My friend John Rostano says it's great up there, but he's from there. Yeah, well, when I see those things with the snow, they have oh, to help crazy. get the team to play a game. You I don't know, even like the that. Nashville snow, Jack. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. You got it made, brother. Hey, I'll yeah. see you Sunday. Okay. See you then. Thanks a lot. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, everybody. Uh, I will be at a meeting tomorrow with my man, Carlos Madden, New Yorker Chavez. Uh, I'm going to meet up with him. Uh, probably not going to be doing the show. You'll see a good re, uh, re, uh, rerun there, and um, I'll definitely be back Monday or Tuesday. Got a lot going on here, uh, trying to balance work and everything. It's all part of the uh, sacrifice to get this program off the uh, off the mat there, but I do want to thank Jack again, and I will see you otherwise sometime next week. Here on Sports Scope. Uh, thank you, Wesley, Corey, everybody, Kathy. Have a good night, everybody.